Hey, it's Joyce. Every week, I have the chance to chat with an interesting, inspiring human and to share that conversation with you. Join me as I walk and talk with entrepreneurs, adventurers, and all sorts of people who are working hard to empower women and make the world a better place. Now listen, this is not some highly polished, formally produced podcast. It's just two humans out for a walk with the chance to learn from each other. So lace up your sneakers, head out the door, and join us. Hey everyone, Joyce here, welcoming you to today's Walk and Talk, where our guest is Susie Rosenstein. Susie is a master certified life coach and a midlife mentor who helps women get clarity about what they want in the next chapter of their life. She is an author and the host of the popular podcast where I have been honored to be a guest, Women in the Middle Entrepreneurs. She has so much wisdom to share, and we've already launched into a really interesting conversation. I can't wait to share it with you all. So welcome, Susie. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me, Joyce. I just want to make one tiny correction. The podcast that you were on is Women in the Middle. So if somebody's looking for your amazing episode, I want to make sure that they get it. The other one is a new podcast that's not quite out yet, but you're on Women in the Middle. Excellent episode. Uh Oh, 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 forgive me. I thought it was just a sort of name change. I didn't realize it's a whole new thing because you keep reinventing, right? Oh, I'm doing my best. (laughs) So we've talked a little bit, uh, and I know a bit of your background, but if you would share how you came to this work of working with women in the middle. You know, this was really fun to think about because what I what I find is usually your path makes so much sense, but while you're in the middle of your journey, it doesn't, you don't really see how everything's connected. But I trace it back to my high school yearbook. Remember when you had to write something in your yearbook about, you know, what you love and where you see yourself going? <laughs> I know that's barely. <laughs> so way back in 1981, I stated that I was always fascinated by human behavior and I wanted to go into psychology. And I did end up doing that. And I ended up also doing my master's in applied social psychology because of this fascination. I've always been a thinker. Like I remember being on the bus as a kid thinking about life and why people do certain things and all that stuff. And Um, Back then, for my master's, I actually did research on the relationship between children and their pet dogs. (laughs) I love that so much. Oh, I did too. It was so much fun to do those interviews. And, you know, and what I really learned then was, of course, I learned about kids and their pet dogs, but I really learned (laughs) about qualitative methodology and questions and listening carefully to exact speech and then looking for patterns in speech. And those are all really important skills for coaching. So who knew, but it definitely started way back then. And then I started my professional career in health promotion, health education and publishing um, in the areas of substance abuse prevention, addiction, mental health, that sort of thing for 27 years. And then one day, I was drinking my coffee, sitting in my office, and I got that knock on my door. You know what knock on the door I'm talking about? No. <laughs> like ominous. 
Well, it's, it just <laughs> sounded like a weird knock. It was ominous. And, and then um, my, my manager like leaned his head in and he just looked at me and he said, we need you for a meeting. And it just felt weird. And I looked at him and I said, who will be at that meeting? And <laughs> and HR. Did, you, did, you, did you say, do I, did you say, do I have to come? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a really big building. And I remember taking the walk. My heart was racing out of my skin, you know. And um, the irony was that the the room that we walked to, and it was really in, like, there were different parts of the building. It was like hallways and elevators. We get to this room and I'm like, oh my God, this is the room where I had my interview to be hired. It was just, it was like a meeting room. It wasn't HR or anything like that. But anyway, I got laid off and, and it was, um, I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but it's brutal. It's so scary. Um, but as I was, it, you know, it, it was hard to hear myself think, but as I was sitting there and there were a lot of people in the room, I couldn't help thinking that this was the gift I couldn't give myself. And oh, that's so interesting. Wait, and you were thinking that in that moment, like simultaneously being completely yes. freaked out and thinking, yes. oh my gosh, I'm free. It, it didn't really, I, I don't think I felt like it was, I was free, but I knew yeah, well, that I needed a change. Like, I had been stuck for five years and I didn't, I wasn't a coach. I wasn't listening to podcasts. I didn't really have the context of what was going on, but what do you know? It was between 45 to 50 and I got laid off a couple of months before my 50th birthday. And what, what I didn't realize it then, but it was clearly a midlife funk. Like I was mm. off. Things didn't feel right. I, I knew that I was in my job probably too long because I felt stagnant. And the one thing I was able to identify was that I didn't feel content anymore. There was nothing wrong with my job. It was just, I was there too long. And, you know, we crave stability. So many of us, we've worked so hard to be so responsible. Yet when you've been at a place for a long time, it's really hard to be, to have that excitement and motivation and have those growth opportunities sometimes that you had in the early days. It was a very weird phase. And I remember fantasizing about leaving. And there was one thing that happened somewhere in that phase that I went to a needlepoint store. Have you, do you do any needlepoint? I do not. Nope. Well, it was kind of new to me. So I was, um, making something for my kids bar mitzvahs like I was making a, a little thing that a lot of times grandmothers will make it's a talus bag and so I'd never done this before and I was um you know nervous about messing up and I was nervous that it would take too long so I ended up having to go to an actual needlepoint store like where they specialize in needlepoint and teaching people like me how to do it and I loved it there it was so beautiful and what I realized was, oh, my God, like this woman who owns this store, she figured out how to do something she really loves as an entrepreneur. And it yeah. was such a striking moment because I didn't even know a needlepoint store existed. Like, I didn't know you could get lessons from somebody. And there were like five, six, seven ladies in there learning how to needlepoint. And 
I was just blown away by this woman who I didn't know, you know, I was just getting to know because she was helping me out. But there was this beautiful needlepoint store. She was clearly in her element. She found a niche. She did something she loved. And it was in an area I didn't even know was possible to like make, like have a career, have a thing to run a business. And I remember going back to my job before I was laid off and just thinking, hey, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. What happened? I'm almost 50 and I'm still not an entrepreneur. And the whole experience was so eye-opening and jarring. And, and that was all in this weird phase of me kind of coming to terms with this confusion that I have no idea what I want but I know that I'm no longer content. It was and, weird. So Susie, let, let me stop you for a minute because I, I think what you're saying obviously resonates with so many people. And this is a tricky question to articulate, but how do people start recognizing the difference between that feeling or depression or something else like because the that feeling you're describing is is kind of amorphous and i don't mean that in a bad way it's like something that's sort of nagging at you i think for a while but how do you see it for what it is well that's a great question and i'm not a clinician so i can't speak to you know exactly how you identify depression i would always say go to your doctor and have a chat and I did go to my doctor and have a chat because I was very confused. And what um, I think if you're, if, if everything else in your life is basically going well, and mine was, I was very, very uh, specifically looking at my career. Like I wasn't off in general. I was just really off in terms of the way I was making a professional contribution. So I would always say check with your doctors. I, so, and so how did that know? manifest itself? Like, you know, you just didn't kind of bring the passion. Yeah, that's exactly it. It was like I became bored and my there was some reorganization going on at the time. Um, and I was trying to be excited about it, but I just mm. wasn't learning a lot of new things anymore. And I love learning things. And I had been like so happy at this job for a long time. So I knew what it was like to be excited by projects. I was just really feeling like a change. And then the other thing was that I also didn't realize that turning 50 was definitely something okay. I had some thoughts about. Yeah, it was a thing. Like I didn't really know what the feelings were. about. Yeah, but it was kind of jarring. It was like, oh, this is definitely a notable milestone. Um, but I, I guess the other thing was this realization about wanting to be an entrepreneur and that I hadn't done anything about it. And then all of a sudden, it seemed like all of a sudden, but clearly it wasn't. <laughs> but I was turning yeah. 50. And I was like, wow, I, I always kind of thought that I would have been an entrepreneur by now. So I think it was just that combination of things. But the biggest surprise in hindsight, and this is something that I think so many people can relate to, is I was fearful. And I had no clue that I was afraid. 
And again, like I said, yeah, like I didn't think of myself as a fearful person. I think of myself as very resilient and strong. And I am. And (laughs) I had thoughts about changing my career at 50. And are you able to articulate a little bit of what that fear was? Was it fear of failure? Was it fear of not being able to pay the bills? Was it fear of other people's judgment, like, or all of the above? Well, the way I, you know, I remember sitting at my desk um, and I had like, I'm imagining that, that phone, I had like an older phone that was like a classic um, office kind of wide phone with a lot of buttons. I remember being in my chair that was kind of uh, one of those chairs on wheels. And I remember looking at the phone and just pausing and I had a bit of an epiphany looking at the phone at my L-shaped desk in my office. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it really was this fear of aging out. And so what that meant was, at that point, I wasn't, I'm going back and forth in time, um, but I, I had this sense that there may be ageism and I may be affected by it. And it doesn't matter how positive I feel about aging, but I definitely had thoughts that there was something going on <laughs> and that turning 50 may be a bigger deal than I ever really imagined in my career. And so again, when I was going through it, I really wasn't clear, but the way I was thinking about opportunities at that time, like I checked out a ton of opportunities. I I'm like, well, maybe I want to do my PhD in psychology. So I went and checked that out. Maybe I want to be a guidance counselor. So I went and checked that out. Maybe I want to groom dogs because I love dogs. So I went and checked that out. I checked out so many ideas, real estate, um, so selling solar panels, anything I loved. I went, well, let me just see what's possible there. And as I was thinking that through, I was also thinking about other opportunities in the kind of health promotion, health education world that I'd been working in for almost three decades. And I just kept getting this image that I was going to get feedback that I was not qualified or that I was too old for the job or that they were looking for skill sets that I hadn't been acquiring in the last couple of decades. I just thought that out of my control, it would have been fear of failure and I wouldn't be able to find other work. And that's when I started to lean more into thinking about being an entrepreneur. And that's when I finally hired a coach. So for me, it was, I was doing well in all other areas of my life, but this career thing was throwing me. And it was so weird for me to be so clear about so many other things in my life and not be clear about this. So that was really that that just really felt like a disconnect with who I thought I was. Like what happened to my clarity? I always know what to do. <laughs> and I didn't know what to do. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean one one of the things that's interesting about that that I, I think people that I hear over and over again as a theme through many of the walk and talk guests I interview is the people who manage to get to the other side of those feelings and those kinds of transitions are often people who are willing to follow their curiosity. And it yes. sounds like that's a lot of what you did during that journey. There was, it seems like, and correct me if I'm wrong, of course, but 
there seems like there was a lot of, I don't know what the right answer is, so I'm just going to keep exploring and following my curiosity. And even though I don't have the answers, that's okay. And I think many yes. of us, especially, especially women of a certain age, we feel like we should have the answers. So if I don't know that this is smart or this is right or this makes any sense, I don't even know that I want to begin walking down that path. Yes, and you know what else is missing? The trust that we can find the answers, that we, that we have the inner wisdom. I didn't trust that at all. Like, I kept thinking somebody older, smarter, wiser, and maybe even younger, but smarter and wiser than me was going to give me the answer. <laughs> I kept asking my friends, what should I do? You must know me better than I know myself. <laughs> it was I so was wondering about that. Weird. Susie, when you said that you kept thinking that maybe someone else has the answer, I was actually going to ask that exact question is, did you really ask them? And it I sounds did. like you did. So, and what did they say? Did people say like, oh, Susie, you know, you should be this or you should do that. Or were, or were people more reticent to kind of offer up their advice? Well, I did. Most people did not come right out with it, but people have always commented that I've been coaching people my whole life without knowing it, right? So, and again, I've always been fascinated by human behavior and I've always loved working with people. And that was the one thing I identified in my stuck five-year phase, that the piece that was missing was working one-on-one -on -one with people. So I forgot to say that, but that is the one big insight that I had that kind of helped me with a teeny bit of clarity. In my job, I worked with groups. I worked with writing and pulling together a team. Um, I created books with a team and content experts, but I wasn't having that one-on-one -on -one relationship that I I got so much from, I enjoyed it so much. And so that definitely helped me. I did have somebody reach out to me and say, you'd be great in real estate. And that was so interesting to hear his perspective on what skills he thought I had that were applicable. And that was right. an interesting thing to happen just because I'd never thought about that. And he saw my skills being transferable in another area, which you know, after working in, in a kind of a narrow lane for such a long time, thinking about transferable skill is, is something that I find my clients are very disconnected from. So that was very interesting. And when I was suggesting guidance and, and uh, going into a PhD in psychology, people all thought that felt right. And people certainly yeah. thought it felt right for me to pursue being an entrepreneur because I love the entrepreneurial aspect of the job that I had creating books. And also I had been dabbling as an entrepreneur since I was 12 and, and my friends all knew this, right? I was doing calligraphy envelopes for weddings and bar mitzvahs when I was 12. And then I did that for years. Then I made FEMO jewelry. I loved making jewelry and I, um, I ended up, Actually, with a partner, we made a time capsule product that we tried to get off the ground. And this was all before online banking and things were, you know, much easier. But 
it was, I was always dabbling and I had that entrepreneurial mindset, but it was really only the real estate suggestion that was like a concrete suggestion. And it was so useful because I checked it out with him. So what you're saying about being curious is absolutely right because you don't know how you feel sometimes until you're exposed or you're meeting people or you're seeing something and then you can have a reaction to it, which is very telling. So I want to go back to uh, something that you mentioned because I think it's a really interesting place for people to start, and that is around this concept of transferable skills. Mm. So let's assume, and I'm sure this is a lot of the work you do with your clients, but let's assume we're talking to someone or someone is listening here who is thinking, I am restless. I don't have the passion for what I'm doing every day, but I've been doing it for 20 years and I think it's all I know how to do. Is there some process by which people can start thinking about those transferable skills on a personal level? I'm, do you recommend people journal it or kind of where do you, where do you start with that? Well, I would, I have had that exact thing happen with clients and it's really fun to get them, get people to talk about what they love about their job, what they love about their current job, and what they do and what they don't like about their current job. And just as they're talking, as a coach, I'm taking notes of, about exactly what they're thinking. So when they're saying certain things, I'm asking questions. So why do you think that? What do you like about that? And really like digging in to understanding what they do and what they like. So I'm not a career coach that has those assessments, but those assessments are pretty interesting. And one thing I have taken my clients through a couple of times is um, strengths, those strength finders tests um, by Clifton Strengths. Are you familiar with those? I'm not, no. Oh, so it's some it's just personality assessments. And this one mm -hmm. focuses on strengths and there's all kinds of personality assessments. And I find that even having assessments done sometimes and looking at your skills and then asking yourself questions about what you like and what you don't like is really useful to start to understand what you lean into and what you might want more of in your life. So when you think about what was going on with me, I mean, even though I wasn't working one-on-one -on -one with people, communication was a huge part of my job. Communication is a huge transferable skill. And it's a transferable skill in coaching, in my entrepreneurial, you know, venture. And it's also a communicable, uh, communicable <laughs> a, a transferable skill in um, other, most jobs where you'd be hired. So that's the type of thing. So it's something that you really like. And then you need to start, you know, figuring out what is also desirable in other places. And that's where you want to do some reading and you want to be more curious about things. So I don't give assessments. That's not what I do. But my focus is on helping you understand what you think and what you want and asking you really cool questions to help you figure out how all of this makes you feel and where you want to go with it. I, I think what's 
so uh, insightful about that and kind of freeing, that's the word I was looking for, what's freeing about that is starting with, well, what do you like to do? Which is a question that <laughs> I feel like when we're six years old, that's a question we can answer really easily. When we're eight years old, what do you like to do, right? Ask any little kid, what do you like to do? And they'll tell you. Uh, I love that you said that. Women, right? Ask adult women what they like to do. And I, sometimes you get that kind of tilted head, huh, <laughs> I'm not really sure. I've been so busy doing all the things that I have to do and the things that I do for the people I love. Yep. Right. So a lot of what we do, it's driven by, by love and that's great. But the question of, well, what do you like to do is sometimes baffling. I know it's, it's so funny that it's so baffling, but especially in midlife where you have, you really have been putting other people first for probably 20 years <laughs> and you're out of the habit of connecting yeah. with what you want at, at all. So I have two strategies to help people zoom into that because that really is a great place to start. And one of them is so simple, and you've probably played this with this question before. It's the lottery question. So I prime people before I ask that I want you to um, catch the first image or sense or word or idea that pops into your head. I don't want you to poo-poo it down and ignore it and dismiss it. And the question is, what would you do if you won $5 million in the lottery? I know something comes up for people. Did something just come up for you? Well, yes and no. Uh, but what came up is wondering if I would have a different answer to that. If like the first thing that comes to mind would be different on different days. Or is there oh, some consistency to that? Uh, you know, right now, uh, unbeknownst to uh, everybody until right now, I am actually traveling, doing the thing that I love to do most, which is ski with my husband. Uh, so if you ask me today, what, do I, what would I do? I would spend as much time skiing in the sunshine as I possibly could. But then I'm like, wait, wait, no, I want to be on a boat. Picture me on a boat. <laughs> so I... So maybe, maybe it's adventure travel, but I think both of those ideas are kind of related. And what typically happens, like for me, I always come up with turtle tagging in Costa Rica. And so it's not, I know, like I don't even, there's something about it that seems magical to me. But again, it's, I guess the point of it is that it's not so much that turtle tagging in Costa Rica or skiing or being on a boat is, is the thing you're gonna do all the time. But there's a clue there. There's a clue right. there about something that you crave more of in yeah. your life. And, and that's you know, important to notice because when you don't even allow yourself to have that enter your mind, mm -hmm. you're really not, you're not helping yourself lean into what you want. And really, the whole point of coaching is to help you be more intentional about your life, right? Is to look at where you are in the moment and help you move forward so that you don't have regrets, to help you move forward in a very intentional way with whatever goals and dreams you have. So the lottery question I find is a fun little sneak attack, but there's another exercise I love 
and I've, oh my gosh, I've gotten such great uh, results from this. And I call it the happy highlights from your book of life. And the idea is, if I didn't know you, and we're just sitting down for coffee, tell me about your life, it's quite possible that you would focus on some times in your life where there was a lot of hardship or negativity. Like you might say, we moved when I was 10 and that messed things up, or my parents got divorced, or like who knows what. But this exercise takes you through the different chapters of your life, like when you were five, when you were in junior high, you know, all kinds of chapters, however you define them, age is the easiest way, or school years. And we're looking for moments of joy. So what made you completely joyful when you were 10? What made you completely joyful when you were in junior high? That sort of thing. So um, it's really fun to look at, not so much the individual answer, but the pattern. And I'm looking for patterns and clues to what has always created joy for you. And there's always some kind of a pattern or a clue here of what you want what you would probably enjoy having more in your life. And it doesn't mean it has to be everything, but the idea that what created joy for you when you were young, it's highly likely to create joy for you now as an older person. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah. And here's what, here's where I circle back to once again, which is I think the theme now of our conversation which is that exercise works, I suspect, only if you're willing to be curious about those mm. things and not judge, not look at them with judgment, not look at them as I, I loved to build sandcastles, so therefore I should be a sandcastle builder. But rather, right. <laughs> as you say, look at it with a degree of curiosity for the clues it's telling you. And exactly. That's the, the difference between how people think about that exercise. It's not, it's not about being super practical. It's about looking for the hints and the clues and being curious about them. That's exactly it. And, you know, when I did that with myself, uh, two things came up that were kind of funny when I was a kid. And one of them, when I was in elementary school, both, uh, they both in elementary, yeah, they, these both are examples from elementary school, like eight to 10 years old. I remember loving to make mud pies in my friend's backyard. <laughs> so I don't know if you ever did that. You know, it's just like dirt and water and then you'd make these sure. hamburger looking patterns, uh, patties Didn't and then lay them out to dry. Right? Yep. I love that. So I, that stood out to me in grade, I think it was grade three. And so I just, you know, no judgment. I just write it down, keep, keep going. Then I remember the favorite thing that I got, um, I think I was 10, maybe the other one I was eight and this was 10, but I remember I got a tape recorder for my birthday. Now, do you remember what tape recorders looked like oh my gosh. in the 70s? Oh my gosh, right? Oh, I sure do. I got one too. And I, I used to like <laughs> hide it under my sister's bed, Susie, and see like what I could capture and find out. Oh my God, I love the tape recorder. We had so much silly, ridiculous fun with the tape recorder. Um, you know, it had those buttons that you'd press down, like oh, the lever buttons. Right, I'm right, ah, totally right there. Even there, right? In, 
insert the cassette. Oh, yeah. I have this cousin. We used to um we used to make commercials about the we called it the tiny bowl man instead of the tidy bowl man. And we flush them down the toilet. And we were making oh, up gosh. voices and we'd be like screaming down the toilet and and you know, recording the sound of the flushing toilet with screaming. It was so funny. We got so much mileage out of that. And there were lots of shenanigans that went on with tape recorder, just like you. And so, okay, so now I'm 59. And I think about it all the time. I think about two things that have given me a lot of joy over the last, uh, you know, little while. Um, first of all, the, the mud pies. What can I take from the mud pies? How much I enjoyed working with my hands. Right. And when I think about other ways that I enjoyed working with my hands, there are so many, so many, everything from cake decorating to making jewelry, uh, wire and beads. Like there has been lots of examples. And then when I think about that tape recorder, I think about <laughs> how much I was fascinated with sound and how that came out with my love of talk radio and listening to NPR when I was a kid and listening to CBC as a young adult and how much it helped me uh, learn how to be Canadian <laughs> when I moved to Canada in the 80s. Also, uh, how much I enjoyed music and speakers and headphones and, you know, when it was a big deal to have headphones when we were in high school and now how I love to listen to music and also the podcast. I host of a course. podcast. Of course, that's the obvious. That's the right? Audience. I never imagined in my 50s I'd be hosting a podcast, me, who's afraid of technology. I can't believe it. But there's clue and history to it, and it all makes perfect sense. I love it. So we could clearly, honestly, Susie, I feel like we're just getting warmed up, but believe it or not, <laughs> uh, more than a half so hour fun. has already passed. I know. So do a quick share, if you would, of all of the places that people can find you. And of course, we will link these in the show notes. But for people who are out and about and just want your details, uh, give us the places you are best found out in the interwebs. Okay, awesome. Well, the easiest place is to head over to wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can find my podcast, Women in the Middle, there. And there's going to be a new podcast coming out, Women in the Middle Entrepreneurs. It's not out yet. But if you think you'd be a great guest for that, you can sign up for a, uh, to be a guest at www.midlifeinterviews.com. We're looking for 50-plus women entrepreneurs who are dealing with midlife issues in one way or another personally. And then oh, the other please, place is my website. Oh, <laughs> amazing. And my, uh, I'll send you the link. And my other, um, uh, my other link, of course, is my website, and it's susierosenstein.com. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being here. This was super fun, as I knew it would be. And uh, if there's one takeaway from today, it's follow your curiosity, because it can lead you to some wonderful places. Thank you again, Susie. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us for today's Walk and Talk. Catch new episodes featuring inspiring guests every week in the 99 Walks app and all the places podcasts live. Until then, I wish you happy trails.